0: Hello everybody, welcome to episode twenty eight of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we use the forgetify website to take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have never been played before, and then we talk about them. Eric, episode twenty eight, how are you feeling?
1: Episode twenty eight, the big twenty eight. Nothing happens when you turn twenty eight, so I'm not not really sure where the bit can go here. Twenty eight I don't know. I'm gonna be twenty eight this year. That's are coming you really? up. Fuck oh yeah, parents? you're
2: you're a one year old. I'm be, right? October. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, we're the same grade, but yeah, you were the end of the class, and I'm That's like right. at the beginning of the class. Yeah.
2: I saw this meme, um, and I think it's probably applicable to most a wide range of ages. But did you guys watch Avatar?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, not cartoon. really.
2: Yeah, the cartoon. Hmm. Do you remember at the end when Ang beats the? Oops, you skipped a little bit. I skipped, oh, yeah, up, I skipped yeah. there, but yeah, at the, the end of the, end of the Avatar. At the... And then the Fire Lord's like, "What did you do to me?" And then Ang's like, "I took away your bending." Someone took that screenshot and just put thirty over Ang, and <laughs> and put my knees over the Fire Lord. <laughs> I did, I did <laughs> see that.
0: I thought that was funny. I took yeah. away your
2: There's a lot of good Avatar memes out there. Uh, oh, it's a popular show. Yeah.
0: Good one. It's a good one. Have you guys it?
2: have you guys uh, been getting? What's What's it like in Ohio? I got my vaccine two days ago.
0: Oh, cool. Congratulations. Yeah, it's open yeah, to the general awesome. public here in Ohio now. And I think it has been since the end of March. And I have got my first shot a couple weeks ago.
1: I'm totally in the clear. I'm a free man. You Did know. you get it laminated?
0: Are you supposed uh,
1: to? No. no
2: Staples apparently said Staples would do it for free.
0: Well, fuck yeah. Let's, let's laminate those yeah, boys. Do it. it's, right, it's like yeah. Krispy
2: Kreme said you can get free donuts. And then Staples said they'll laminate for free. But I saw this other thing. It was like, can't wait to put fully vaccinated on my dating profile, like some kind of adoptable pet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is the, some, some, some changes <laughs> will have to be yeah. made.
2: To I don't know do about it. you guys, but my arm was really, I was only the first shot. My arm was like shot for a day.
1: Mine was I not was so like bad. sick as a dog for those, for both shots. Yeah. Like Matt, it was what? terrible. Yeah. I would, I had like the flu for three days after the first one and Ooh. then. Was like super sick for two days after the second one. Both were bad, and yeah, yeah, my arm felt like it got hit by a baseball bat. Yeah.
0: What what uh what shot did you get?
1: Oh, I got the Pfizer. I got Pfizer. Uh,
0: guys are Pfizer boys. Pokemon I, Pfizer version. Uh, I, I Pokemon Pfizer. Yeah, Eric and I were talking about <laughs> all the different ways we'll use these vaccines to, you know, sort of separate our different personalities. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I I can't mm-hmm. wait to get my superpower. What's I the got Pfizer, Pfizer superpower? Well, I don't me, me. They told me that I won't know what I got until the second shot. But I can expect right. my letter from Professor Xavier like any day now.
0: Sure, sure, of course. Don't,
1: don't worry, Robbie. I heard Moderna gets um like super smell. Like you can smell <laughs> oh, everything. So that's pretty that. cool, right? No. My, my cousin <laughs> played bad. along.
2: My cousin played along with a joke. He's like, ah, oh, lucky, my only superpower was a sore arm, and I was like, My friend told me. That she can hold her breath for seventy seconds now.
0: <laughs> uh, that's a that's a good one. Well, imagine the possibilities if you could hold your breath seventy seconds.
2: <laughs> that's ten seconds longer than the average adult. You would th- can the average th- adult only hold sixty seconds. Yeah, about like a minute. That's like apparently most people's average.
0: Wow. You know what? You actually you said seventy seconds, but then it occurred to me I don't actually know if that's a lot. <laughs> like if someone said that to me, I would it's be not impressed. A lot. But I wouldn't be mm-hmm. like
2: I think the thing is you just gotta imagine or remember that like the average American is probably kind of older and out of
1: shape at this point. <laughs> that's true. So yeah. We are number very, one in obesity. Uh, yeah.
2: But uh anyway, should we get on to the music that was right. probably enough enough um yeah, banter.
0: babbling. We, we got some good vaccine bits in there. It's salvageable. I'll
2: figure it's it good out. good banter.
0: Oh, hold on. Screen tearing is us. Awesome. All right. So I'm starting us off. My artist that I found this week is a guy named Bruce Ruffin. <clears throat> so Bruce Ruffin uh, is a uh, rocksteady and reggae artist. So I did a little research into the genres of ska, rocksteady, and reggae to kind of familiarize myself with some of the the differences. Uh, and a little bit of the history, but I'm, I'm far from an expert, so I encourage you all to to you know listen to some of the music I'm going to be mentioning and uh, maybe do some research on it, because it's very interesting. So he got to start singing with a group called Byron Lee and the Dragonairs, and then I think his most prominent group before being solo or going on a solo act uh, was a band called The Techniques, who were sort of very famous in Jamaica, and um, you know they kind of had some outside-the-country success, too, uh, in the genre of music rock steady and in, in reggae and things like that um, but he kind of had a solo career in the 70s he had a few hits with like covers of Cecilia and he had I think the biggest one it's it saying here is um, a song called Mad About You which looks like it sort of became uh, a hit in the UK and in Australia uh, but the track we'll be listening to today comes from a compilation album and it's a song called In The Thick Of It and I'll take us there from the beginning Maybe we can start off talking a little bit about the uh, specific genre markers for things like reggae and ska and rocksteady, because this was something I was not really sure about. I, Of course, have heard of ska and reggae, I didn't really know what rocksteady was, and I wasn't exactly sure about specifics for all those uh, genres. So uh, to get into it a little bit, all three of those are genres of music that are related to one another and they originated in Jamaica. Uh, sort of in the in the 20th century and, and developed. Uh, from what I can understand, it seems like and uh, they sort of led one to the other in terms of, you know, uh, the the order that they came in. Starting off with ska, uh, and then eventually going to rock study, then reggae. In in terms of I guess popularity or development of the music, you could say. So one of the things we hear a lot in reggae music and that I was familiar with was an offbeat kind of staccato chord. Mm-pop. It's kind of a sound we hear a lot in, of course, reggae tracks and things like that. Uh, uh, but in rocksteady, it's it seems like that's sort of the bridge between ska and reggae music because it has the instrumentation of like ska music because it's got the horns, it's got the the setup and and um, you know the larger band. Uh, but it is a little slower. It, it seems to be a big sort of marker because it's sort of related to a song called the Rocksteady. Uh, or that's how it got its name, at least. So it seems to be very similar to to Ska, but the big thing is that it tends to be slower. Um, And then for this track specifically, I don't know if we hear, like Eric was talking about before, I don't know if we hear necessarily a lot of the things you might associate with reggae music, but I think we do have some interesting stuff to to talk about. But let me just ask you guys, what do you think? What's uh, impressions of the music?
1: Yeah, so... um... Maybe it's just that I recently watched Dreamgirls and so that kind of music is in my ear but it really reminds me the overall sound really reminds me of the kind of pop sound that we were getting in like the late 1960s out of Motown records um and like that general um feeling and like vocal quality and um style of song just very much seems in that kind of area i don't know if i'm right you know like but definitely feels more pop to me than reggae or rocksteady or anything like that but that's that's not to say that it isn't pop without some of those elements it's it's hard to say matt what do you think
2: yeah i've been thinking about i've been thinking a lot about like maybe where we're coming from with our perceptions of like these genres of music it's tricky because like the genres of music Really, really developed like over those years. And we have like the kind of postmodern conception of like what is reggae and like what is ska after like a lot of time for the genre to like get really pigeonholed. Right. Because I was saying like when I think of ska, I have a very specific sound that immediately comes to mind of like, yeah, real big fish and like streetlight manifesto. And if I think of reggae, you know, you're, you always think of just, like, the super classic, like, really backbeat-heavy sound of reggae. And given that this is, like, what, 1973,
0: I think? Yes, I think we discovered that, yeah.
2: Yeah. The thing that gets me about it is its proximity to, like, disco and funk in, like, the time period. And the I'm thinking of, like, the other music it reminds me of. And it immediately conjures to mind just, like, a general Jimmy Buffett sound. But also um Hooked on a Feeling. Do you know that song?
0: Yes. You know what? Yeah. Actually, now that you say it, that's that, a good that's, comparison. That's a good yeah. that's a good one. Who who's who's saying that? Who
2: They're like a one hit wonder. It was like really random. But Hooked on a Feeling and like a, maybe even just kind of like that music around the time of like, you know, Build Me Up Buttercup.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Well, I think it is definitely fair to say that uh, his his music this track and a lot of the tracks it seems in his solo career especially are uh incorporate a lot of pop influences pop and r&b and um and you know things like that uh but i think some things i do hear that are a little distinct at least from maybe you know straight ahead pop or, or, or something like that for one and i think this is the, the biggest one that i know that's listening to the whole song is is a very strange construction a song you know you think of a lot of pop music it's very clear sort of like verse chorus or verse bridge chorus kind of kind of structure but this one it has that very very short it's almost really only two phrases or, or four phrases right at the very beginning it's like a rhyming couplet and then it goes right into the chorus and then it goes into like a bridge a different section entirely and then it has a musical interlude that's not really related to any of the melodies that have been introduced so far then it does the first chorus and the or the first verse and chorus again and then it's done mm-hmm. so it's sort of like a strangely ordered song or, or at least it doesn't seem to fit cleanly into um you know a conventional pop mode but uh and I think the other one is the 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 emphasis on the the line too that's something we hear a lot in uh, reggae music and in in rocksteady music and I think I hear a sort of prominence and emphasis, uh, and doubling of that bass line that is reminiscent of that. But I do think certainly it's it's got very many pop elements.
2: It's a really active bass line too. Like, I I wonder what kind of instrument they're playing on because the strings are so punchy and like bouncy, mm. not kind of like a, that like I don't know dirtier bass tone that you get in like again I'm thinking maybe like more punk ska cuz obviously like, yeah in ska the bass player is like going that's like a hard job right um it's a much more virtuosic like demand on the bassist than like punk or just um reggae probably also very busy but again i'm no i'm no expert but like yeah this was it was a really high mix like for bass
0: yeah, And I think that's where a lot of, or, and once again, just from my limited understanding that I have done, so take with a grain of salt, but it seems like the one of the sort of elements that developed in the rock study and reggae was more of this emphasis on the bass line and sort of putting uh, the hook really melodically in, in the bass, or at least emphasizing the, the bass ends of things. So I think that we do hear it a little bit in, in this one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to quickly... Yeah, I just wanted to quickly throw in... So, Matt mentioned those two songs earlier. Hooked on a Feeling and Build Me a Buttercup. Both of those were released in 1968. So, we're pretty close there in time. And definitely room for him to have been influenced by those tracks specifically. Because, wasn't he born in 1953? Did I read that right?
0: Yes, that's correct. That's correct.
1: So... He would have been what, eighteen? Uh yeah. oh no, I'm no, fifteen. Wait, hold 15. on. So Yeah, I can't do math. And then five years later, so he would have been fifteen in five years, that would those probably would have been the kind of tracks he was listening to, you know, as like a high school student, like in formative years. So I mean that has a that can leave a really big impression on, you know, musical development and
2: taste and all of that. I think the instrumentation also just has a lot to do with it there's i mean there's like the horn section but there's also strings right strings like enter right around where we just stopped and like the strings that's just to me like a like a leftover or a remnant of like the the studio orchestra sound kind of you know you have had strings in in like plenty of disco and plenty of pop music like a little string section
1: right that's true some high-flying violins playing some chords that was a nice... I
2: liked... I like hearing a string section in, in pop music. I, I I miss it.
1: Let's bring it back. We're starting to pop. We group. did for the Super Bowl. Remember? Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> I, oh, boy, that was bad. What happened? I missed yeah, this. So It's like... Uh, I about to touch on the Super Bowl. It was Bowl. the weekend,
1: right? It was the weekend. And one of his songs has like some... I think in the actual song, they're just synths, right? Yeah, it's just maybe it's real. Like the
2: the, you can you can see him in the background. and You zoom in on him, and it's like, like you know, this is the correct (laughs) technique. Really, well, for our audience at home, Matt is sighing
0: back and forth in the air. Yeah, it, yeah it
1: vigorously sawing back and forth, way too hard and fast to be true violin players. Full shoulder and like
2: also no, there's no way you could assemble that many ripped violinists that look good in like those costumes. No way.
0: you hear, you hear that violinist? <laughs> Matt thinks you're fucking ugly. <laughs> Get at <laughs> us.
2: I didn't say ugly. I just said not ripped. Think, see, because he thinks you're
0: all fat and, and weak. Hey, I,
2: I I don't think violinists are powerlifting every day. I think that's that's probably contradictory to what you want for, for your instrument, right? Could I you don't imagine know. Could like a really, really jacked buff violinist?
0: Yeah, you could just have a big bicep, set your violin on it, boom. That's easy. Violins, but yeah, it was write uh... in and tell us how much you hate Matt and what you do with your violin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it was a big controversy because, you know, everyone just spent the last year not getting any any money or work or being paid to do their craft and then they hire people that very clearly had never touched a violin in their life yeah to uh you know play in the background well play in quotation marks
2: i actually in the background. i I heard that there's a trade secret for like air violining um exactly a k-pop star accidentally like blabbed it on live tv (laughs) Boy. He, he mentioned that if you put like some kind of oil on the bow it just slides right over the strings without making a sound. So oh. it helps you make contact with the strings and like actually like pretend you're playing so that if you're playing like an overdub and you're air violining to the overdub hmm. you can like, you have to be like an actual violinist so you can still make it look convincing. Right. But um, it like Hmm. Allows you to really convincingly like do it, I guess.
1: That's interesting.
2: Yeah, you just like oil up the bow and like probably the strings also.
1: So what you're saying, Matt, is we really don't need any violinists at all anymore. You're giving yeah, no, away no, the trade
0: secrets. Them.
2: Just get a synth for everything, you know. Just,
0: that's what I'm saying. <laughs> fucking hire me. I'll play your. St- I'll fucking do ten strings at once, ah, Fingers.
2: <laughs> one for the cost of the ten for the cost of one. There you go.
0: Exactly. Just kidding. Strings are great. We love you. Come on our show. All of you. Uh, Oh, one final thing about Bruce Ruffin. It seems that he switched careers in the 80s, began studying law, and eventually became a legal consultant to other reggae artists, which uh, is pretty fucking cool, if I don't say so myself. Good for you, Bruce. Come on the show. Shall uh,
2: Shall we move on to Eric's selection for the week? I'm pretty excited for this one.
1: Yes,
0: Eric, you want to introduce this?
1: I think we should. There isn't too much to introduce. This man doesn't appear to exist in any form on the internet. Um, But we're about to listen to the album Looking for Uncle John. The band is Taken from Earth. And the song title is Indigent. And we're going to start about the 20 what second mark? 24th. 24th. All right. Born and raised in Northern California, my dad trained me as a woodshop
0: apprentice. But there was no jobs in that, so I went to work in the sawmill. I saw two men lose their fingers. But when I saw a man get his hand cut off at the wrist, I knew there must be more to life than this. So I quit work and slummed with some friends, mixing chemicals in the kitchen sink, making crank for the locals. <laughs> Heavy duty, of speed. Sorry. Uh, sorry, the phrase making crank for the locals will never not be funny. <laughs>
1: There's just, and then, you,
2: you know, like we, we mentioned it. We were all completely gripped by the story of this song. And we don't always listen to the whole song in our like pre-show listening. But none of us said a word and just let the whole thing play out before we started the show. And it reminds me of um, some of the other storytelling songs that we've had on the show. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know which one? Yeah. You know which one I'm thinking of in particular.
0: Uh, how come uh, my dog don't bark?
2: Oh no, that's a good one too. But it's I was denim thinking. Denim Jerome. Nope. Lonely man, denim Dan. <laughs> oh, Lonely man, denim Dan. I well, of course. They just like they hook you in with the first couple lines of the story, and like you, you gotta strap in for the whole ride after think, he says.
0: Yeah. yeah do you think denim Dan ever made crank for locals? <laughs>
2: No, I think Denim Dan was maybe the local buying the crank. <laughs> yeah, that does steep like him. But like after that, you know, lose a finger in the sawmill, you're like, all right, I'm here for the whole ride. I gotta know what happens next.
1: Heavy yeah, I... duty trucker speed is that what he called it? Yeah, yeah. There's just yeah, there's just so much going on here. Like I mean, I do like the storytelling aspect of it, and I do like the. I like the I like the vocal timbre, like the range he's using to tell yeah. the story, you know. It's very a uh, cowboy at a campfire kind
2: of like telling you a story.
1: Outlaw country, yeah. yeah. And there's there's a nice rhythm to it, you know. There's a nice pacing and rhythm, and it doesn't just feel. I it's don't very know, kind musical. of jammed in. His speech yeah. is very
2: musical, and he even does a few rhyming punchlines, where he very intentionally later in the song he saved a few rhymes for um like downbeats or it was it was rhythmically very interesting i remember
1: yeah the whole thing is definitely worth a listen and i wish we could do it on the show um and i wish there was something more uh i could find about this guy the last i i hate to spoil it for everyone but the last line of the song talks about basically about how he uh goes to live under a bridge like a ghost in, in Boston. I mean, it's it's a whole trek. It's more about the journey than the destination here. But this man truly does seem to be a ghost because can't find anything out. Album's from 2006, though. There's a lot of good
2: music happening here, though. I mean, the thing... So the song starts, right? There's, like, 20 seconds of intro, and it's right. intro music, and it's just kind of chugging along with this nice, gritty kind of guitar playing some some tritones or something something like that yeah and And yeah you get some harmonica on top oh yeah some rattlesnake sounds yeah some some good harmonica exactly the way that you what you think of when you hear harmonica right yeah yeah but like he starts talking and you're like okay what's gonna happen is this gonna be like talking the whole song and then there's like that repeated chorus ish thing that happens
1: yeah yeah
0: eric what you say about the quality of his voice i i I agree it's kind of like what it makes me think of is like a cross between johnny cash and cake whoever the cake guy is because it's it's got this when i first when it first broke into the sort of talking i thought it was gonna kind of be more like a cake track for for a second there uh but yeah something about the quality of his voice and then the, the delivery, I think, is very reminiscent, like you mash those two together. Uh, and I agree with Matt. Lots of really nice, very sort of Western, I don't know, hallmarks is what it makes me think of. I, it felt like a Western movie score or, or, you know, panning over to a dusty ghost town or something, you know.
2: You could kind of see it in like a Quentin Tarantino.
1: Absolutely. Right. And Before I forget, um, the title of the track, Indigent, that's our SAT word for the day. And indigent means suffering from extreme poverty. I don't know. It's just, it's like, that's a word I'd never heard before. I don't nope. know. Like, Robbie, had you heard that one? Yes. You knew indigent? Uh, I so did. You, know you knew that the rest of us were idiots? Uh, I did, but I very quickly. Uh, oh, look didn't at SAT anything. Robbie over here. He's so brilliant. I oh, read the myself. dictionary. Uh, so <laughs> cool. <laughs>
2: I could see Robbie being the kid in the back of the classroom reading the dictionary for fun. From the bottom of my fucking well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. But, uh, just about that word also, I totally said it wrong in my head before you said it. Because you spelled it out for us to find it on Spotify, and when I Mm -hmm. mentally said the word to myself, I was like, indigent.
1: Indigent.
0: Indigent.
2: Cause I I said it like indignant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I kept this, reading indignant. Yeah. But. Yeah. There's a there's something I saw. It's like if someone says a word like slightly incorrectly, that just probably means they learned it from reading. You know. Yeah. That's true. Right. That's true. But Farnet. I definitely I wouldn't have thought indigent.
0: Right. It does not look like it. It it, it the accent is where it should be.
2: Do you know? Did you take a listen to the any of the other tracks? Is this like a whole saga, like a, a story? I did not, album? and I
1: should I should go back because I, I really hope it is. You know, and I think what's interesting about it is you know he's talking about being raised as a woodworker and going to work in the sawmill and then making heavy duty trucker speed and then <laughs> living as a hobo and making cakes for the riding, Yeah, yeah, not riding, uh, not riding the rails because there's murderers on those. I mean, not it's like a taxes. very really? her- Yeah, not paying taxes. It's like a very harrowing story, right? And very, um, I think, very reflective of the word indigent. But it's so well told and the music's so good that I can't help but feel like there's almost a separation there between, like, I want to believe it's his life, but at the same time, everything is so good that it seems very at odds with everything he's told us, you know? Not that I don't think, you know, like hobos that, you know, make heavy duty crank for the locals can't be like excellent musicians and storytellers. It just you know It reminds me of like um
2: my friend told me uh that his his grandpa was like a real, real Texan cowboy. Nice like he, mm-hmm. he broke cattle. Not cattle. Broke horses. Horses. Yeah. He broke horses. And he was telling me about the history of the the term widowmaker. Have you guys heard this word,
1: widowmaker? Uh I know the I, word but I don't know the history of the word. So yeah.
2: widowmaker I've seen it in two iterations. First I've seen it as the Overwatch character and second right. I've it was like a unlockable shotgun in like a video game. And he told me, "Well, the widowmaker means two things." He's like, "I worked in an oil rig on an oil rig in like the Midwest and he's like the widowmaker was this machine that like Cranked a whole bunch of chains really high up in the air. And it was really dangerous because when you started it, you basically needed to get the hell away from it because it's notorious for ripping man's arms off.
1: Oh, Jesus.
2: Like in one go, if you get caught in that thing, like even a little ounce of your fabric gets caught in it. And my friend said he didn't see the arm get torn off. He saw a piece of it fly off, fall down, and just cut someone's arm clean off. And that's why he stopped working in an oil rig.
0: Well, and, that then he's do like, it.
2: and then he said, but that's not the original Widowmaker. The original Widowmaker was, get this, when you're, like, something about being a cowboy. If your horse, like, gets spooked or something, you need someone riding, like, with you hmm. so they can shoot the horse. Because if you fall off and you're stuck to the horse, that's what it is. You'll die.
0: Oh, like you got your foot stuck in the stirrup?
2: Yeah, if your foot is stuck to the horse and you fall off, you need someone with you to shoot the horse mm. in that in case that happens. Isn't that insane? That is insane. Guess you
0: better just not fall off then. Gotta get good at horses.
2: It's crazy stuff, like cowboys and working in oil rigs, and it's like life or death jobs.
1: <laughs> Imagine all the... Yeah, I mean, like it's amazing how many of these jobs are still out there, but... How much of human history is basically getting guys to do jobs? Well, anyone to do jobs that could basically kill them at any minute. Like, you know, logging. I think logging is the most dangerous job currently in the country.
2: Like I believe that.
1: Going and cutting down trees, you know, just.
2: But should um, we should we move
1: on from the. In... Yeah, I, I don't know if we have that much more to say about. uh.
2: Yeah, from from indi- indigent. indigent. Yeah. Indigent. Yeah. Okay, so I can introduce um, some stuff about my track. Okay, so the title of this track is Max Misbehaves and is Sent to His Room Without His Supper, and it's from a ballet of the famous children's book Where the Wild Things Are. So I don't want to give away too much. How about we just hit play first 30 seconds of this one? So I was just so immediately, A, like super into the sounds that were happening, but B, also intrigued by this. Like, what is this? This is a setting of Where the Wild Things Are, the famous children's book, who is, this is um, by the composer, Randall Wolf. Somehow, not familiar with this composer, but they are a, uh, let me just read off a little bit about him. Randall Wolfe is an American composer born in 1959 and primarily braced out of New York City. Uh, like brooklyn he's worked with the brooklyn philharmonic and he composed this ballet version of where the wild things are in 1997 in collaboration with the writer of the book and uh it's weird it's like you guys know much of like the new york city new music kind of crowd sure
0: like the the famous ones or like today's
2: music yeah, yeah music. the famous ones the famous ones yeah oh, yeah yeah think like Julia Wolf and like uh, Michael Gordon and David Lang, like those are the big New York City kind of voices for new music for a while. And I think if this is 1997, that makes sense. This is consistent with the style. But I would have said this could have been from the 90s. Also, could have been from like five years ago. I don't know. What do you guys think of that?
0: Well, I, I'm certainly That's not as. Yeah. Well, first in the new music scene and new music as you guys are, or especially you, Matt, but. Uh, There is a certain quality to this that, you know, I think, yeah, we have heard in, like, uh, recent classical compositions, or at least that's a strain of this sort of uh, newer classical music composition that sort of has this kind of writing or incorporates these sort of rock, almost, or, 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 uh, you know, other popular kinds of music elements and has this sort of instrumentation, right, with the the electric guitar and stuff. Uh, But, yeah, what about you, Eric?
1: sorry this is a ballet right yeah yeah it's interesting because yeah i i guess i could see like from five years ago how this could fit in with that style of writing and a lot of ways i think a lot of the things that were happening in the 90s are definitely still happening today um i think some of me it it doesn't sorry just to me it doesn't like, I guess I haven't listened to too much modern ballet, so I can't really comment about that, but um, could definitely see this fit into like a musical, right? You know, like yeah. that kind of style of modern musical writing where you have a semi pit with uh, a lot of electric guitar, piano, you know, maybe right. electric bass, drum kit, that kind of stuff.
2: I think maybe the thing I was trying to get at the most is it's aged very well.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah definitely
2: This sounds like it's aged very well. I think well this was recorded in 2007 and it says on the website that this has had like hundreds of performances and I believe it it's a 40 minute work. it's aimed I guess by default at kids right because where the wild things are that's for kids and I think the whole thing it's successful in so many ways. I could sing a bunch of praises about this. Perhaps the biggest shame is that I just didn't know it to begin with. I think it it maintains an accessible sound while still probably pleasing the big, you know, new musicy overlords. Uh, also, I'm just a sucker for bass guitar and electric guitar in classical music. I think it's great. I love using them whenever I get the chance. But, like, No Shade, if I think of some of the bang-on-a-can New York City music, some of it didn't age well, and some of it did. But I think this aged really well. Uh,
0: yeah, that's interesting uh, to think about, especially the the instrumentation. So, I, and I guess that that makes me curious. Uh, Matt, you mentioned you get to you like to use bass guitar whenever you can in your own writing. Have you ever had the chance to write for an ensemble like this, where it's like basically a rock ensemble plus whatever whatever the instrumentation was—the strings and the trumpets and
1: flute, clarinet?
2: Yeah, you know, I actually did. Um, I was going to mention it. This group reminds me a lot of um, Ensemble Clang. Or clang? Ensemble Clang. I think it's Uh, Clong.
1: Oh. Maybe I I
2: feel like there was a big disagreement when they came to Peabody. So you know what rather K L A N G -G,
1: right? Yeah. I think it's indigent.
2: (laughs) I I just remember when they came to Peabody, you had half people saying it clang and half people saying it clong.
1: Yeah. I remember this.
2: This ensemble has like two saxophones, a trombone, a guitar, Uh, percussionist and a pianist and it's a great ensemble to write for i was so happy to write for them um i did write my own piece that had electric guitar in it but not bass but at the time in the 90s i think it was really popular to merge rock instruments rock band with classical elements because i mean like steve reich did it first um Maybe not first, but most notably in, like, Music for 18. And then, um, yeah, definitely Julia Wolfe and David Lang started doing that a lot more. Nico Muley does it a lot. And I just think it's really nice because they're great instruments, but they also make the whole thing seem a lot more, at least in my opinion, accessible, again, because you see classical music, you don't always think electric guitar, you know?
0: When writing for an instrument like electric guitar with, um, you know, the more traditional acoustic instruments, what sort of things do you take into consideration in terms of like, well, I guess just thinking in a group like this, I feel like it would be really easy for the guitar to overpower like a violin or a flute or something. Is there anything that kind of goes into your thinking or preparations for the guitar in that
1: regard?
2: It's really hard. I had to take a lot into consideration, um, pedals, every guitarist has a bunch of pedals and they all do incredible different things. I had my guitarist working with a volume pedal, but also there's a really cool thing called a freeze pedal, which essentially just takes the sound and suspends it, which is really nice. Um, But the hardest thing actually is the guitarists have to teach the uh, typically the classical musicians how to blend with them. Ah, I see. Because like, Classical musicians were very used to playing into each other's sounds, and as long as your guitarist is aware of like volume and all that stuff, like you know they're a good musician, they all know what they're doing. But I think that um, acoustic instruments get a little bit timid around electric guitars. I think, hmm. but I really liked a lot of stuff going on here. There's also some uh, trombone multiphonics that were orchestrated in with like the guitar distortion itself.
1: Well. Wow. Yeah, this thing is awesome. Yeah, you know, Robbie, um, Peabody has a huge, huge uh, classical guitar program. So it's really interesting seeing what some of our peers coming out of this uh, department end up getting into. I was thinking um, just this discussion about classical music and using electric guitar and all of that stuff is reminding me of one of our classmates, Sean McFarland, who came, who just came out with his own album, actually, called One Zero Zero Six and Resonance. Um, and I believe the album—I haven't listened to the whole thing. I've listened to a good chunk of it. Um, he takes Box One Zero Zero Six, and then every other track is a new classical music piece featuring electric electric guitar, but he plays everything on electric guitar um, throughout the album. It's very, very interesting. It's um, He does, I mean, not only is it interesting hearing the Bach, you know, this famous Bach piece on electric guitar uh, expertly played, but it's also interesting hearing the interludes and all the different extended techniques that you can do to make a really cool composition featuring solo guitar outside of, like, our standard rock genres and, you know, the areas we typically are used to hearing electric guitar.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: If I can also, I want to try and direct you guys down a different avenue with this. Because some of this, you know, I don't care what of this is and isn't in the podcast. But since I know you're both nerds, this music also made me start to think of, like, classic video game, like, fight music
0: okay i see what yeah i get that very rhythmic yeah. very yeah
2: yeah like a uh, final fantasy kind of like the just random battle bot like fight music
0: all right i think you know what else it is what 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 else the guitar can do i think it when paired with strings it sounds very sprawling and very epic and very energetic i think just the mix of the timbers is yeah, there's something about it yeah, the strings
2: give it that sustain that it really can't have because it's right. a plucked instrument right yeah and that's why I like you know if you you'll sometimes go see a rock band with an orchestra behind them because it, it just it like fattens up the sound you know
0: yeah
1: the track itself really gives a sense of motion which is good because it's a it's like... a temper
2: tantrum it's like supposed to yeah. be basically a, a temper tantrum happening right
1: yeah. yeah it's i just wanted to say it's super cool that um he re- not only got the author's permission, but worked with the author to make this happen.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. I think it's a great thing. Like I love art that it's unpretentiously like aimed for aimed at children, you know? Yeah. Like, um Yeah, I'm with you. You've seen him throughout history. Peter and the Wolf, right?
1: Yep. It's Prokofiev.
2: and And it's it's unapologetically Prokofiev. It's got all the hallmarks of his style. He didn't like water anything down or dumb it down. And then um, Britain, the young person's guide to the orchestra, right? Great piece. Again, that's just, it's just Britain. And then something like this, I doubt that Randall Wolf compromised his musical style at all to write this. This sounds like it's unapologetically this guy's style of music, but just like in a really smart way that, you know, kids can engage with this, right?
1: I think you're I think you're probably right. I think that's a very good point.
2: And if it's got like hundreds of performances then, you know, the proof's in the pudding.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think I feel like there would be a really big audience for ballets directed at kids. I feel like ballet is something that you might not think, but that I that kids could really get into just cuz it's so flashy, it's all colors and movement and sounds. Make more ballets about children's
1: books. Hey, yeah, and you especially... guys want to hear the coolest oh sorry go ahead man oh no i was
2: just gonna say especially you know like kids look at it and they don't see like ooh ballet you know if if it's like cool contemporary blend of like dance styles and you know ballet could be anything then like again it, it just gives kids another way to engage with this thing they don't even realize that they're like listening to classical music you know we
0: did that that's what we that's what we got them yeah. <laughs> right in our trap. gotcha yeah.
1: While you guys were talking, I was kind of idly wondering who the recording artists were, because it just says various artists, right? And then next to the track, there's all these names for each individual track, depending on what it called for. And I realized I recognized one of these names. So Michael Lowenstern is um, a very, very famous and well-known bass clarinetist and Clarinetist, but bass clarinetist Clarinet is his specialty He's probably the biggest clarinet YouTuber Actually Um, So if you look up Michael Lowenstern He's had one heck of a career um, And he's also kind of like A living embodiment of the idea That you don't just have to be a musician Because I think you know, He's had this whole musical career Been a huge champion for the bass clarinet Um, In fact Selmer um, Made him his literally his own custom clarinet uh and it's like entirely it's like their normal best model plus like all black keys so like the thing is sick looking nice um it's really really cool but yeah he uh not only does he do the music thing i think he's also like um like a marketing manager for amazon or something or google like one of these huge companies i think it's amazon yeah and he lives in Brooklyn. And, you know, so this makes perfect sense that he would be there to record this.
2: I was that was why that name. Yeah, I was looking at that name in particular too. the clarinet professor at my old university, Fredonia, had a poster, a signed poster of that guy, uh, like in his office. And it was because our new music society brought him in for a like residency or something or a concert, probably the year before I got there. And everyone was just like, oh yeah, Lowenstern was one of the best guests we've ever brought in.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, he's like super, super, I mean, from everything I see, I've seen of him, super cool guy, really personable, really energetic, huge champion for the instrument, has done a lot. You know, he's like a Summer artist, Mandoran artist, one of the biggest names in the community. So super cool to see his name here.
2: All right. So, does should that is that is that all we've got to say about where the wild things are?
0: I think that's it I for me. So.
1: Nice, find, Matt. Thanks. I like, is, I like this one a lot. Yeah.
0: Do we want to move? All on? right. I
1: think it's yeah. Go ahead. It's on. time. No. It's a time in the yeah. I'm going. Okay. No, Eric. Wait. Hold on. Do it's you a,
0: want to say something?
1: Yeah, I would like Matt, to say hold it's on. A Eric time. needs to talk. All right. Thank you, Robbie. I'd just like to say that it's a time in the podcast where we tell each other what we listened to this week. So you better get your phone out, Robbie better start looking now. Oh, he's already got it. Folks eyes. One step ahead. Genius brain Robbie over here. Look at all the wrinkles on that brain. All right, Matt, why don't you go first? Cause Robbie still needs some time.
2: Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to, um, I'm writing a, I'm writing a Chacon right now. So I've been listening to lots of closed variation form music. Chacon's in particular. Um, so this week, two, in particular, the um, Brahms Symphony Four, Movement Four, because it's just it's just like a amazing. The whole thing is great, but Sim- Symphony Four, Movement Four, is a chaconne. and uh, also which string quartet? Okay, the George Rockberg String Quartet Number Three. The third movement is his own version of um, Canon in D it's like really random and i imagine he probably got some weird criticisms for it because he was like a serialist before this but it's like a really just beautiful e- expansion of uh canon and d and okay. it's like super lush and gorgeous and a- anyone should walk down to Rockberg's Canon and D at their wedding instead of the pocketball one. Because the pocketball one is like bland vanilla garbage compared to this. So, yeah. You hear
0: that pocketball?
2: <laughs> Suck it, string players.
0: Even, yeah, Matt. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. No prisoners. Matt, do, what, why don't you tell the people? What's a Chacon?
2: Oh, yeah. Um. So a Chacon is my, it's like one of my favorite musical things. A Chacon is an old musical form. And it's what, we consider a closed variation form, meaning that uh, it takes an idea and just like repeats it a whole bunch of times, but like in different, in a different way. So the Shikone repeats a chord progression over and over again, but it's just dressed up differently every time. And it's a nice like, it's like setting a challenge for yourself when you're writing, right? It, it, if you impose rules upon yourself, you can create really interesting things in my opinion. So yeah, I love chaconnes. Is it my nice. turn next? Oh yeah, I, I think, think you're your next,
0: It's my turn next. So, this week, I listened to a Woody Shaw album called Solid. It's got a cube on the front in the album cover, so look out for the cube. Uh, but Woody Shaw is, uh, or was, a famous jazz trumpet player. Uh, we talked a little bit about him uh, when our guest, uh, Dr. Van Hammer, was here last week, but I have been sort of listening to a lot of his music, a perennial favorite of mine. He's got... I think I think Woody Shaw is probably one of the, the most or the most underrated artists of the last, you know, last half of the twentieth century, really. Because, in the when you're talking about jazz trumpet, sometimes it's easy to go from like, okay, Louis Armstrong, then Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis, then like Lee Morgan, then like Freddie Hubbard, and then like you know you hit the big ones. But I think Woody Shaw is musicianship and his musical ideas, you know. Are, are are really compelling and i think there's always something interesting in his lines and especially if you like a kind of chromatic playing or some of this you know l- more linear intervallic style of playing woody shaw is a master at that and taking those ideas and just sort of contorting them a million different ways before you've had time to take a breath so woody shaw solid really great album
1: all right yeah, and I, I've i got to be honest, I've just been vibing to um, our guest's album all week, I Am Not a Virus, Jordan Van Hammer. Um, yeah, it's, it's really great, and I've just sort of been putting that on repeat this week. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, go check it out. Go check out episode 27 to hear our interview with the artist. Super cool. And Robin, you want to take us out? Right. Yep, concert's starting right now, actually. Oh, so, shit. we actually, yeah, gotta wrap this up. Yeah. Get to the concert. We are not a virus. Robbie, you wanna?
0: Thank you for listening. Once again, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram uh, at Drop the Needle in the Haystack and on Twitter, t- uh, Twitter at Drop Haystack. <laughs> Keep it rolling, Eric!
1: As always, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Twitter. Twiddler.
0: Twiddler.
1: Alright. Good show, guys. Yep. That was a good one.